God, we just want to sit and stand here for a moment in that thought. And it takes so much faith to sing those words. Believe. That it can be well in the circumstances that I'm in right now. That's almost beyond comprehension for some of us. And that those words that the winds and the waves still obey you. That we are going to choose today to trust that you are God, you're in charge, you're in control, and that each one of us that you look at and that you want us to rest in you in that it is well moment. I just thank you for the power in that thought and ask your spirit to speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you can have a seat. That'd be wonderful. Oh, I'm just so glad that you came today. And I know that we've had a lot of weather, right? And so, you know, in fact... Uh, we've had record numbers of people watching us online and uh, record numbers of people not here uh, for the last few weeks. So just so you know that, it's been kind of an empty place the last couple of weeks because of all the weather that we've gone through. And I'm just so glad that you're here today. And I know that God brought us all here because he wants to speak to every one of us at the point of our deepest need and longing. And so uh, I just want to begin by setting up a little bit about what I want to talk about today. Uh, that as we've been looking forward to our 25th anniversary that's coming up on March 5th and praying about that, this series is just designed to help us to know uh, why we do what we do as a church and how we believe that as we engage in Jesus' purposes and practices that we are going to be able to bring hope to our world. Jesus is the hope of the world. And as his church engages... That's how hope is brought into a world, and if you're like me, you would say, we need it, right? We need the hope that Jesus can bring. And so the series is designed to show us that, and what we can do, and how we can engage, and how as we engage, uh, we make opportunity for other people to be able to engage. We just keep expanding in that process of being able to help people to have, find a place. And last week, we talked about belonging and this week, we're going to talk about bless, and then next week, we'll talk about bless as well. Two different uh, weeks, we're going to talk about this concept today, but let me set up today's, okay? If you're reading the Bible with us through the daily reading plan, <clears throat> we're trying to read through the Bible in a year, and I know in January, we start out with great guns, and most of you, maybe many of you already gone every day in January or every day of your reading plan, uh, and so yay to you, but if you're reading in a plan, you know that we begin in Genesis, and that we begin with the creation and we make our way through the, the story of God's people in Genesis, and, and specifically this week, I was reading about Joseph and the Great Famine. And so the idea in Genesis is, is that God is establishing a relationship with mankind. And so we've been reading about the people who responded to God's initiative, to responded to God's call in a certain way by being willing to say yes to God and to submit to him in all things in all ways. Now, did they do it perfectly? Well, just read Genesis, right? You're going to find out that they did not do it 
perfectly, but one phrase that's been jumping out at me as I've been reading this year uh, in a new and a fresh way is the promise that's given in several chapters in Genesis. Uh, And the promise is fruitful and multiply. Those words. God says you will be fruitful and multiply. Now in Genesis, and when he's talking to Adam and Eve, it's a command that they would be fruitful and multiply. But the rest of the times as it's used is talking about a promise that as you follow me, that you will be fruitful and that you will multiply, that you will go out and that good things will happen because you're walking with me. God wants his people to be fruitful and he wants us to multiply. One example that I read this week was Genesis 35, 11. Now, another thing that I've noticed this year for one of the ways that God's been speaking to me as I've been reading through the Bible this year is uh, that I've been noticing every time that his name is given for the first time. And so even though I'm going to read a verse to you, his name wasn't given for the first time here. It does give one of his names here. But let me read this verse to you from Genesis 35, 11. God says to Joseph, I am God Almighty. And then he says this, be fruitful and multiply. And he says, here's a promise I'm giving you. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. So there will be fruit, and then there will be multiplication. And so he's saying that that's what I'm promising for you. And the key is is that what's happening now is that God is forming a people after his own heart. He was forming a people who would be for him, that would live for him, that would point people to him, but not just that, but also a people who would be of the people, by the people, for the people. So it's for all that we're doing this as we're walking with him. That's how God describes his plan to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2. And God says to Abraham, And I will make of you, Abraham, a great nation, blessing, fruitful, and I will bless your name and make it great, blessing, fruitful, so that you are a blessing. You multiply and you take it out. You will be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. And that's what we're going to talk about this week and next week as well. And what we see that in God's economy, that it works like this. God says, I bless you and you bless others. So he's saying, you pour it into you and I'm going to ask you then to pour it into others. So I bless you and then I'm going to ask you then to give it to others. You will bless others. Now I wrote to you in my email blast this week and I say kiddingly every time I do this, I know you read it every week, right? Yeah, sure. I do appreciate when you respond to me, though, and let me know that you read it, and I love that. But I wrote in there this week about this idea of a blessing that God has not called us to be containers of his blessing, but he's called us to be conduits of his blessing. Not containers, but conduits. And so we get this confused uh, many times as we see ourselves as containers that we can have more and more and more and more. And then he says, no, that's not, I'm I'm giving you blessings, not so that you'll just be able to have more for yourself, but so that you'll be a conduit and those blessings will go out to others. One of the key purposes that God has given his people, it started in the Old Testament and now would be true in the New Testament of the people of God through Jesus Christ, is that we would be a blessing by contributing to the common good of our society and our culture. So if you would, just go ahead and grab your message notes out. They look like this. Um, You're going to be able to follow along today, all the Bible verses I'll use here. You're going to maybe want to take some notes as we go through this. Love it if you do that. If you have your Bible, you can open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to be in chapter 8 and 9, not the entire thing, but just pieces of that today. So you can follow along as well. And if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one. So you can stop at the the, the bookshelves right outside these doors 
and there'll be a Bible there, and you can take it as your gift. Now, right at the top of your notes, is, we're not in 2 Corinthians yet, but as an example of what I'm talking about today is Ezekiel, and Ezekiel chapter, I mean, Zechariah chapter 8, and it says this in Zechariah chapter 8. That's 8.13. It says this, and it's a promise. And so uh, another promise is coming in a time of great desperation, actually, in the life of God's people. It says this, O house of Judah and house of Israel. So things are not going well. It says, So I will save you. Word of prophecy about what God is going to do, and you shall be a blessing. And so that's what God was wanting to do. And then it's a prophecy, actually, of what God wants to do in Jesus Christ, is that he will save us, and as a result of him saving us, that we will be a blessing. So the bottom line for us today is this. Here we go. God has blessed us extravagantly, and because of that, we are able to bless others generously. We are able to bless others generously. So today we're going to talk about the concept of generosity, and we're going to talk about giving today. That's what our topic is about today. Now, I know that right up front, some of you are thinking, you know, the last time I was here was like around Christmas, and that was really awesome, and I came back today because you said you were going to be talking about Be the Hope, and uh, I wish I would have read the fine print about what you're talking about today. That I might not have come, you know, honest, just kind of thoughts that you might have as we talk about this idea of giving. Now, some of you, you have the impression because, you know, in this area about this issue, you have the impression that that's all the church ever talks about. That's all, you know, the church would ever, you know, want you to know about is this area of giving. And, you know, it may be true for some of you. You may have gone to a church where that was what they did, and they did it consistently, and they harangued you all the time about giving and those kinds of things. But in actuality, uh, I went back and looked, and um, I can't locate the last time I talked about giving. I can't find it. And so, I mean, I could have dug deeply, but it's not in the last two years, not in the last three years that I've talked about giving. And so, first of all, I just want to apologize to you for that. I apologize to you that I have skirted this and have not talked about something that's so important and so relevant to each one of us, to our hearts, and to kingdom causes. So we're going to talk today about this idea of giving and generosity. And it begins with the verse that Mark read earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then it goes on and says this. I want you to underline or circle words as we read this. God is able to make all, circle that, all grace, abound to you. So it's overflowing so that you have all sufficiency. There's nothing lacking. And in all things, at all times, you may abound and overflow in every good work. So he's saying all this God is doing and giving to you so that you can abound and that you can be a blessing to others. So let's just jump in on both feet. Let's talk about this today. And I'm just going to ask you to walk with me as we work through these verses in 2 Corinthians. The first idea is this. If we're going to have a heart of generosity, we must give sacrificially. We must get to the place where we're willing to give sacrificially and I'm going to add a qualifier, not out of surplus. Sacrificially, not out of surplus. So let's kind of set this up. Here's what's going on in these chapters of 2 Corinthians. The situation is that the Corinthian church, that they're full of people who are pretty well off, and they're Gentiles. And Paul was writing to get them to give to the Judean church, where people were very poor, and who were Jews. So he was actually, you know, asking them to cross socioeconomic, you know, kind of 
structure here as well as cultural and national structure here. And what he does is he uses an example. So chapter 8 is the example. Chapter 9 is the instruction. Chapter 8, he uses the Macedonian Christians of an example of people who are living a life of blessing. So they're generous. And so he's using them as an example to encourage the Corinthian Christians that they could also give to help this famine relief project in Judea. And so let's just begin in verse 8, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. So notice that. Tested by many troubles and very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed with rich generosity. Now, those don't go together, do they, typically? You look at that, you think, many troubles, very poor, great joy. Doesn't seem to relate in that way. It's like they're able to say, we are able to get to the place to say, it is well with our soul. And then what happened was, is because of the need, they were able to respond and they overflowed with rich generosity. And I'll just say it was beyond their means. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. Underline that, far more. That's sacrificial giving. And they did it of their own free will. So it wasn't under, we're going to talk about this in a little while. They did it because they chose to and not because of a command. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to, and to us just as God wanted them to do. So you read that, and I don't know about you, but I think every pastor in the world would read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and be thinking like this. I would love to have church someday where the crowd, the congregation started crying out, we want the offering now, bring it on, bring it on, once or twice, three times, four times, keep it going, pass the basket. <laughs> right? Well, that's the attitude of these, of these Macedonians, and they were saying, begging, let us give, let us give, dude, beg you, let us give. I, I just say, that's not natural, is it? That's supernatural is what I would say, supernatural giving. And they had been given sacrificially, and they were saying, it was so awesome, let's do it again. Look at what God did with our sacrificial giving in us and in the results of that. And their giving was a sacrifice because we, know, we learned that they were very poor and things weren't going well. They had deep needs of their own. They're barely aching, making men's ends meet, and they had possibly even greater needs than the people in Judea. But they still chose to give. Because they wanted to be part of what God was doing in them. So how could they do this? How could they do this? Well, the answer is in verse 5. It says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us. So their hearts were united with God and others. And so as their hearts are united to God and others, they said, we are going to be people of great generosity, and we are going to sacrifice. A person who fully understands grace, like the Macedonian Christians are, they ask, how much can I give? And then they say, can I give more? How much can I give, and can I give more? A person who doesn't fully understand grace basically asks this question, how much do I have to give? And they wrestle with it because it's a have to, and it's a command instead of coming out of generosity. See, folks, when we give out of our surplus, is the reason I added this, we got out of a surplus, we're basically giving out of what we can give 
what we think we can afford without doing without. So when we give out a surplus. So, okay, I, there's a need. I've got surplus. I'm going to give out of my surplus. I can give out a surplus. It still costs me, but I'm not having to ask the question, what do I have to do without in order to do it? Sacrificial giving asks the question, what do I have to do without in order to give and be generous in that way? The surplus is what you can afford to give and still do what you want to do. That's when you give out a surplus. I'm, I can afford to give. It's great, but I still have all my list of all the things I'm going to do, and nothing has to change in any way. It doesn't change the way I live. Sacrificial giving means moving past this place where you can live just the way you want. Sacrificial giving will require giving up something. No longer just getting containers full of stuff, and then it has to be a bigger container because I've got more and a bigger one, but instead I will keep my container this size so that my container can actually be a conduit so that I can give away what comes into my world from God to others. So let's just do that. Let's just say, I'm good. we're going to commit to wrestling with this idea of giving sacrificially instead of out of surplus, asking ourselves, what do I need to give up so that I can be a sacrificial giver? Okay, that's the first idea. The second is this. Give willingly, give willingly, not out of duty. Give willingly, not out of duty. So no arm twisting. So you got to know, to the best of my ability today, I'm not twisting any arms. In fact, I'm wrestling with this right along with you today as God's working in my heart as about my generosity and the way that I would come at you know, giving away to others. Okay, here's what it says, verse nine, uh, chapter 9, 6 through 7 eight. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart. Underline that. Decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Now, why does he say your heart and not your head? Why does he say your heart and not your head? Because your money signals where your heart is. Jesus said it himself. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So the way we can determine where our heart is is that we can look at the way we spend our money. We can look at our credit card statements. We can look at our budget. We can look at, if you have, maybe you have a checking account still, you can look at that. You can look at the different ways that you, where your money goes and it's allocated, and you can know where your heart actually is as you do that. So this is why when I ask you personally, and I write to you, you know, occasionally about giving uh, and uh, in fact, you'll be getting a letter this week from me with, along with your giving statements. And inside, I'll say these, this phrase. When it comes to giving, I ask you to give out of revelation and not reason. Revelation is out of heart. Reason is out of the head. So reason says, here's what I think I can do, and I determine it, and I've decided that this is how things can work. Revelation is, God, would you tell me what you want me to give? And then I'll do it. I'll just do that. And so, and that's a willing heart that comes to that place. Now, some people, when they read these verses from 2 Corinthians 9, I want to you know, mention this just a moment here. Uh, they read that this is a promise from God, that if we give financially, that we're going to give, you know, get back financially from God in return. And so you see a lot of these folks on television. 
right? And they're telling you that if you'll give, that you'll get, you know, in return, uh, and they'll make all these claims. And then you read later that if you, you know, dig down into their private life, that they, you know, got mansions and, you know, limos and all these other, you know, things. And they're saying, well, that's because I'm giving and God's giving back to me. It's kind of the, the approach that they use, but they encourage you to do that. That's not what this is saying. That's called prosperity gospel, prosperity gospel. Basically, prosperity gospel says, the more money I give away, the more money I'm going to make. The more money I give away, the more money I'm going to make. I'm going to get richer and richer and richer as I give it away. And folks, that's just not what this is saying. That's not what it's saying at all. If you come, come at it from the idea of a container versus a conduit. So if you come at it from a conduit, what you're going to say is, as I give away, God's going to pour in. And as I pour out, he's going to pour in. As I pour out, he's going to pour in. That's what this verse is saying. Not so that I can accumulate more, but so that I actually have the opportunity to give more and do it willingly. Okay, third idea is this. If I'm going to be generous, I need to give joyfully. Give joyfully, not out of obligation. Not out of obligation. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Who gives cheerfully. That word is uh, where we get our word Cheerfully is where we get our word hilarious from. And so he's saying that God loves a happy giver. That's what God loves. The opposite would be to be what? A miserly giver. And that's when you know you're giving under compulsion, okay? And you're the command. But he said, no, God loves it when you're free and you're able to give in that way. So this is what it says. And going back to verse uh, Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 again. Just kind of want to read these verses again because I'm so amazed by these Macedonians. They are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed. So you get, this, you get the idea here? It's not just joy that came. It's joy that keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming because they saw the fruit of their giving and how God had used it to help others. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. So even though they were living in poverty, even though that they were in dire straits, their abundant, overflowing joy, this is what it did, it caused them to want to give more. So joy leads to generosity. A lack of joy leads to stinginess and holding on. But here's the other thing. Generosity leads to joy. And a lack of generosity robs you of the opportunity to experience joy. See, they gave out of vision. They gave out of a vision of what their giving was actually going to do to help others. And that vision led them to have overflowing joy. And it created this deep sense of awe inside of them about what God was doing through them. I just want to show you some vision pictures now and let you see some thoughts. Uh, our Uganda team got back on Thursday, and so we have some photos that are floating around right now. Uh, I've not even gotten to hear any stories yet of what happened there, but I want to show you some uh, vision pictures here. And if you'll remember, last January, we sent this team, a team to Uganda, and that team to Uganda, we funded them to build a church. And so they went to Uganda, we gave them money, uh, our church contributed and then, but so that they could go there. They bought 20,000 bricks, and with 20,000 bricks, they had a brick brigade. They built a brick building, and then they left it in that shape. And then over the year, we've actually sent them some more funds. They were able to finish the building. There's the outside of Stucco, and this is the grand opening, grand opening 
of the day when the church was open. There's Pastor Robert in a purple shirt and Pastor John and the ribbon cutting as they're going to dedicate this building. That is vision. That's what God allows us to do as we give. And we're generated, it generates deep joy in us to see, especially those who can tell stories about what happened while they're there. This is the team. I just wanted to show you them. They did an awesome job. Uh, I've heard just from a prayer time we just had uh, that, uh, of connecting and engaging and taking the love of Christ there. Next picture would be of another brick brigade. So this year, we decided we would do two churches. And so this is moving the bricks for one of the churches. And so you see how it has to be done. Uh, it's very tedious. And I understand one of the days there, it was in the 90s, and the humidity was in the 90s. And so it was really a lot of work. But we funded that and helped it. And now I want you to see this. This is a church. This is a church. This is what it would have been in those places where we're now building brick buildings. Now, there's a really cool thing because with a building comes legitimacy. And, that, and, and also, in that culture, a building shows God's blessings. And so as they're able to see that, then they're able to see that God is real, God is big, God is good. And so this is a future place where we're going to be able to build a church. And I'll show you one more picture. Uh, this one is, if you remember in November... We received an offering, and uh, it was a do-for-one, what you wish you could do for everyone offering. And uh, there were two of the orphans that we've sponsored over the last few years who had severe hearing disabilities, and without some help, they were going to end up on the wayside. And so we took up a collection as a church, and we gave. And so this is uh, an amazing picture for me. I can't wait to hear the story. This is Doreen, and Doreen is in, I'm assuming, Kampala at the place where they're getting... She's getting fitted for her hearing aids. Do you not understand? She would be cast by the wayside. And now she's going to have an opportunity to be a young woman who can hear and make a difference in her culture, as well as her friend, Deus, as well. Well, that's vision. And so the Macedonians were given out of vision, and so it was joyful for them to give. And that's what God is calling us to do. That's what Paul was drawing out with this willingness to give joyfully. And then the last idea is to give graciously. Give graciously, not out of guilt. Not out of guilt. Now, I, I just know, I've already talked to people after first service, and um, I, I know that for some of you this is really difficult today. And you've got all kinds of reasons why it is, and I understand, and I've got my own reasons why it would be difficult for me. But one of the things is, is that you came from an environment that was, all, that was guilt about everything. And so even as, when you hear me talking today and you're thinking about your level of generosity, some of you, the first thing you feel is guilt. And so that, what I want to say, please, 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 that would stop the whole process. If you, stick, if you stay stuck there and then you blame me or the church or someone else for the fact that you feel guilty today. Instead, look at the grace that we're going to talk about now. I'm giving out of grace because of what God has done for me. Give out of grace, not guilt. Because we have abundant grace, therefore we can give generously and help others. Now, the Macedonian Christians, they're an example of generous giving because they have an understanding of grace. They understand grace and that God had poured the blessings of grace out on them, and therefore they're going to pour the blessings of grace out on others. And it's their giving is motivated by grace, even though they were in terrible times of testing, and they were poor. Now, this is what it says, verses 7 through 9 in chapter 8. Since you excel in so many ways, talking to the Corinthians now, the Corinthians here, 
because he's been talking to Macedonians, now he's coming back to the Corinthians here. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to also now, based on what the Macedonians have done, I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this. I am not commanding you to do this. But I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. So here's the test. The Macedonians gave sacrificially, willingly, joyfully, and graciously. And the test is, Corinthians, are you going to do the same? Are you going to do the same? You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Paul realizes that you might be able to command someone to give, but you can never command someone to be generous. Never. You will not give generously if it's out of obeying a command. Generosity is from the inside out, not from the outside in. Now look at what he writes to the Corinthians. And, uh, I'm going to read that last part again, 7 and 9. It says this. Though he was rich, talking about Jesus, yet for your sakes he became poor. This is, this is, this is grace, okay? This is, we're talking about grace now. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And then Paul ends this whole section, chapter 9, verse 15. He ends the whole section with a verse that's very familiar to many people. He says this, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That word gift there means his inexpressible, inexpressible grace. So he's saying we give because we've experienced God's inexpressible grace with us. So when I was reading this, and many times that verse is used for Christmas services and those kinds of times where we're talking about the gift of Jesus, it took me back to our Christmas services. It took me back to Christmas Eve. And the way that God used the Christmas Eve service to help us all, I hope, all of us who are here, see how much we're loved and treasured by God. Jesus is God's gift to humanity. Jesus was not just born. Jesus was given as a gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but would have eternal life. God gave Jesus, and then Jesus gave his life. That's the grace. God gave Jesus, and then Jesus gave his life. And so why in the world did Jesus do this? Why did God do this? Didn't Jesus, didn't they already have everything? They're in heaven. They have the glories of heaven. They have relationship. They have the eternal light. Don't they already have everything? And the answer is no. No. If he had not become poor, if he had not been born in a manger, if he had been, not been emptied of his glory, if he had not gone to a cross, Jesus would not have had us. He would not have had you and me. The gift of Jesus, the gift of Jesus, the grace that God gave in Jesus shows us that you and I, that we are more valuable than anything in the universe, more valuable 
And when you truly grasp how much that God loves you and understand that, you will become as extrava- want to become as extrav- extravagantly generous as God when he gave us Jesus. So to the degree that you understand the gospel of grace and what God has given you in Jesus, you will live a generous life. When Jesus becomes your treasure, it won't be a problem to give generously because you're thinking, if Jesus can give his life for me, what can I change to give for him? Jesus can give his life for me. What can I change to give to him? If we understand that concept, that what he gives to us is not to be in a container, but to be in a conduit to bless others, then what we'll see is that we can become motivated like the Macedonians to give generously. Now, I'm going to wrap it up with these last two verses, three verses from 2 Corinthians 9, 12. And this is what happens. So as a result of generosity... Two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. So the needs will be met. So the needs of the church, the needs of people who have uh, needs, they'll be met. That's what he's saying here. So that's one of the benefits is that it's practical. That as our giving as a result in a practical needs being met. And then they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. So as a result of generosity, God's name is lifted up. As a result of generosity, worship is given to God. As a result of generosity, people see God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given you. So God gives extravagantly so that his people will give generously. Let's pray together. Well, God, I thank you for the picture there that we see on the stage of Jesus bringing the gift to all the whoever's in the world. That would be each of us. And that the value that he showed each one of us, that we are the most valuable possession in the universe, that he would give himself graciously. And Lord, I pray that you would, each one of us now, as we, as we think and we're sitting there and we're thinking about giving, and we're thinking about generosity, we're thinking about our circumstances, we're thinking about our situation, uh, Lord, and, and we're wrestling right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, for your power. I pray for each one of us that we would relax into what, God, you want to say to us and that you would guide us. Where where is a sacrificial gift being asked of you? I don't think it means sacrificial every day. But is there a sacrificial gift being asked of you? Where you would give more than just the surplus as you look around, but it would actually cost you and cause you to need to change your lifestyle in some way. Are you willing? Are you willing to give? Can you see it as great joy? If you would ask the Holy Spirit that you would create the joy in me as I give. 
and that you realize it's not out of guilt, but it's out of grace. I just thank you, Jesus, for the power of your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen.